This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. This is our last session of the winter 22-23 study of the first 11 chapters of John. We'll start a new study next week looking at John chapter 12 and following. But I'm being joined today by Bob Bunn. Bob's one of the members of the Explore the Bible team. He's been with us uh, three of the 13 weeks. So, Bob, thank you for being back with us for week four for you. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, to, like I said, we're looking at session 13 here. We're looking at John chapter 11. We've entitled this lesson, I Am the Resurrection. Uh, it looks at the, the seventh sign that's uh, noted in John's gospel. And the I believe this is the fourth of the I am statements. I mentioned in an earlier podcast that the only time the seven signs and the I am statements intersected was in John 6, but I was wrong. It's also in John 11 here uh, where the I am statements and the seven signs intersect. But this passage, these verses, 32 through 46, we've organized this way, wept, believe, and returned. Wept deals with verses 32 through 37. When Jesus arrived after Lazarus's death, Mary found him and expressed her belief that he could have kept her brother from dying. Jesus was deeply moved by her crying and asked her to take him to Lazarus' grave. Jesus wept, prompting some in the area to express doubt in Jesus. The thing that we can understand in these verses is that Jesus understands the hurts of humanity. The second section of our outline, verses 38 through 40 of John 11, we've entitled Believe. In these verses, we find that Jesus was deeply moved when arriving at the cave serving as Lazarus' tomb. Jesus called for the stone to be removed. Mary protested, knowing the odor would be overwhelming, but Jesus called on Mary to demonstrate faith in him. Our takeaway is that believers demonstrate their faith through obedience. The last section returned, looks at verses 41 and through 46. The stone was removed from the cave. Jesus thanks the Father for listening and for the opportunity to help those present believe in him. He then called for Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Lazarus emerged from the tomb, still wrapped in burial clothes. So Jesus directed bystanders to unwrap him. Many of the Jews who witnessed this believed in him, but some went to the Pharisees to tell them about what Jesus had done. For us, we can walk away with the idea that believers can approach God knowing he hears them. Bob, you got a variety of things here in this passage. One of the questions here is what principles can we extrapolate from this passage about how to deal with people who are grieving? Because obviously Martha and Mary rightfully are grieving here. So what principles can we pull from this? You know, I've got, uh, I've got three kids. They're all young adults now, but uh, they're completely different. <laughs> their personalities and their their world, not their worldviews necessarily, but their, their way of approaching their worldview. They're all different. They were all raised, they all share the same DNA. 
they all had the same mom and dad. They all, you know, they all were raised in the same house. So it was, you know, nurture and nature were pretty much the same in their, their worlds, but they, they became so different. They grew up to be different, uh, you know, different eggs. And so, um, you know, that's, that's sort of what I see here is that you had, you had two, two sisters who, you know, they, they loved each other. They were raised together. They still probably lived together. And, and yet they were so completely different from one another in how they approach grief and how they express grief. And so Jesus had to, fortunately, Jesus knew them really well. And I think that's one of the things that you, one of the first things you think about when you deal with people who are in grief is, you know, you got to get to know them. You need to know them before the grief happens so that you can, you can minister to them effectively. If you're just trying to step in at the last minute, there's, you know, I, I, you may, you may, I can relate to this too. I've, I've been to funerals where the, where the guy leading the funeral is just somebody that the funeral home called in and really didn't have any relationship with the family. Didn't know anybody. I've, I've been called on to yeah, do those yeah. kind and, of funerals so before. It's, it's a challenge. It's hard because you just don't have yeah. that relationship as opposed to, uh, for instance, when my mom passed away a, a couple of years ago, uh, one of our really great friends from church who has known her for years and years and years and years uh, officiated the funeral. And it was so much different. In some of those other situations, yeah. so get to you got to get to know the people before the grief happens, so that when it does, uh, you you know how to approach them. That's where Jesus was. He had invested into these folks. He knew them really, really well, and had spent time with them. And so he understood Mary was going to come at him, or excuse me, Martha was going to come at him. And when she came, she was going to lead with her head. She was going to be intellectual. She was going to be logical. She was going to, you know, say when she said, "Why." Why didn't you come? If you've been here, my brother hadn't died. It was a logical statement. It was an intellectual statement. And so Jesus came to her and said, hey, you know, your, your brother's going to live again. Your brother's going to rise again. Let's just get that straight. Let's get that in your mind, and we can move from there. Mary, on the other hand, was going to lead with her heart. She was the emotional one. She was the one that was – she was the one at home crying. I'm assuming Martha cried, but we don't have any record of Martha crying. But we know Mary was crying. And so – she came and she asked Jesus, you know, why didn't you come? If you had been here, my brother had, wouldn't have died. It was a hard thing for her. And so Jesus was able to take her and sort of involve her in the moment and say, well, hey, why don't you, why don't you show me where you lay Lazarus? Why don't you take me to his tomb? And we'll, 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 we'll kind of grieve together uh, through that. So he was, he was wise enough to, to take both of them where they were and to meet them where they were and to address them and, and give them exactly what they needed. At the, at, the, at the perfect time and in the perfect way. And you don't have to be Jesus to do that, but you do have to get to know folks and you have to, to, to build a relationship with them. Um, otherwise, it's going to be really hard to do on the spur of the moment. It requires a lot of listening too. Mm -hmm. Let them talk and find out what, yes. you know, our tendency is to um, compare their experience to our own and their experience is unique. We can't fully compare that th their experience with ours and and we should just listen sometimes yeah. so it's important and there's a there's a sense when they both came to him and asked the same question why weren't you here if you'd been here my my brother wouldn't have died there is there may have been a little bit of an accusation there yeah. you know uh if you had done what we what you really should have done we wouldn't be in this situation um but jesus didn't take offense at that <laughs> he kind of looked beyond all that and and let them let them say what they needed to say. And then he reached out to them as best it would fit their personalities. One of the options in the leader guide is to create case studies 
built around Mary and Martha. You would have one that would ref reflect Mary's approach and one that would reflect Martha's approach. You could, you could either use them specifically or you could create some case studies from today and then share those with the group and then allow them to have conversation about how they would approach this person and then how they would approach this person, uh, noting the differences when they were dealing with grief. And then you would move from there into the conversation asking this question, how should we respond to people who are hurting? Should our responses vary from person to person? Which is a question that's asking both the personal study guide and a daily discipleship guide. That'd be a great way to move into that conversation, creating those case studies especially if we have a class where there's people in the class who are dealing with uh, a recent death um, where they could, they could express some of the things that, that were important for them uh, and how they processed it while others are processing it in a different way. Um, there's a lot that's been said, by the way, about Jesus weeping here. Uh, how can we help our group get a clearer understanding of Jesus weeping uh, depending on how you do the math, this is one of the shortest, it's certainly one of the shortest books, verses in the Bible. Depending on how you do the math and what translations you're looking at, it might be the shortest. Yeah. And for a, for a verse that's so short, it sure has been hashed over a lot over the years. <laughs> uh, for, for what, you know, what was what was going on about this? Why was she's and, and folks generally fall into about three different camps. One, one camp believes that, that Jesus was crying because... Uh, he looked around and he saw death and he knew that death was a result of sin. And so he was mad at sin and he was so mad that it brought him to tears. So he was, he was crying because he was angry at, at sin and the, and the, the consequences of death. Uh, other folks say that he was crying because his, his heart was broken by the unbelief that was around him, that, uh, that he saw some stubborn hearts and people who didn't, who questioned him and questioned his, his, uh, his messiahship. And so, uh, because of the hardness of their hearts, he he was heartbroken and cried. And then I think a lot of folks kind of lean toward this third option is that he was just crying because he was he was hurt. His friend had died and he was going through the same kind of emotions and the same kind of grief process, the stages of grief that we go through. And and that makes sense because the writer of Hebrews says that he, he experienced everything just like we did. Now, the writer of Hebrews was specifically talking about temptation, but I think we can we can extrapolate that out to um, uh, you know, every other emotion as well, that, that Jesus knows what it's like to be a person. If he's, if he's going to know that, he's going to know what it feels like to hurt. He's going to know what it feels like to grieve. And so, you know, his tears were simply like our tears when we lose someone that we love. Um, and he was hurting for Mary and Martha, uh, who were his dear friends. And when they cried, he cried because it just broke his heart. And, you know, I, each of these three areas, they, they these ideas, they they have merits and they have pros and cons and, you know, strengths and weaknesses. I tend to lean toward the, you know, the broken heart uh, theory that Jesus was just being human uh, because I think this is a great passage uh, for uh, the intersection. You mentioned the intersection of the, the seven signs and the seven I am statements. It's also a great intersection of Jesus' humanity and his deity. Um, it just shows who Jesus was as a person and in his heart, his, his, his compassion and his, mercy um, but also shows his power and his his deity because the same god uh who, who cries or the god who cries is the same god who raises the dead 
And so, yeah, but, you know, there he, is great irony in that. There, there is. I mean, he, you know, he, at one moment he's crying because, and even though he knows in his mind that this is not, there's going to be more to the story. He's still in one moment he's crying and the next minute he's, he's just showing his authority over not just, uh, not just sickness, but death itself. Um, and so that, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a really an interesting dig into what this passage has to tell us about him. The only place we find this recorded is here in John's gospel, John 11. To me, it would seem that, that if, you know, raising someone from the dead would have been in the other three accounts somewhere would have been in Matthew, Mark, or Luke somewhere, but it's only here in this gospel. Um, why might the other gospel writers have ignored this event? Yeah, ignored is a really strong word. Uh, yeah, so, uh, not included. How about yeah, that? Yeah, not included. Uh, so, but you, know, the, you, the, you really can't yeah. ignore a no. resurrection, you know? No, although although Jesus' enemies did, <laughs> they pretty much ignored what he taught them that day and, and, went and, and went after him anyway. But, you know, the interesting thing, Dwayne, is that there's really only one miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, that's the only one. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that gets included in one gospel and not included in another, or maybe gets included in a couple and doesn't get included in the other two. So that's something. The way I look at it, you know, I was I was raised, uh, not raised, but I was educated to be a writer, to be a sports writer, newspaper guy. And so um, the way I look at it, uh, when I try to explain to people why some things are in some gospels and some things aren't, is I, I, I encourage them to think about sports writers covering a ball game. And maybe, maybe you get four different writers. And one of them is, uh, he's from the newspaper that covers the home team. Um, another guy is from the newspaper that covers the visiting team. Maybe a third guy is somebody who writes for a big national newspaper who, uh, like USA Today or something. They really don't have a dog in the hunt, but it's an important game, so they're going to cover. And then maybe the fourth guy is uh, writing from a sport for a, maybe he writes for a sports magazine like Sports Illustrated, where they don't really do game stories, but they do profiles on individuals and players. Each of those four people may be at a particular game at the same time, and they're going to see the exact same game. But when they write up their stories, the stories are going to be different because it's going to focus. They're going to have different focuses. Um, they're each going to, based on their audience and the people they're writing to and the things that they need to accomplish they're going to emphasize some things when they don't, well, maybe they don't emphasize something else. Um, and so there's, um, there's the, the gospels are kind of the same way. You got four guys who, you know, a couple of them were eyewitnesses, a couple of them relied on the eyewitness of other folks, but they basically got the same story. And it was up to them based on who they were writing to and what, what they wanted to emphasize that uh, that determined what they put in and what they left out. Now, specifically for John, uh, John is completely unique because we mentioned before that the Matthew, Mark, and Luke were basically wrote in the same, let's say, the same decade. Usually, you know, they were they were pretty close together and probably yeah. used most. The, the general thinking is that Mark was probably the first one and that Luke and Luke and Matthew probably used him as source material and added some of their own stuff 
along the way. So those three books are kind of close together. They're tied together. And they were probably written around sometime in the 60s AD, um, 30 years after Jesus went back to heaven, roughly. John was written 30 years after that, in the 90s, most likely. And so you think about that. And, and most like, and most think that he was aware of the other three, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because the, the, the oral tradition of who Jesus was, the, the, the things that when the apostles went out and shared the gospel and began to take it to the ends of the earth, that oral tradition that they were preaching, that was that had been circulating for 30 years before they ever got, down, got around to writing it down on paper. And then once they actually wrote it on paper or parchment or whatever you want to say, then it was another 30 years until before John wrote his. And so a lot of this information that had been in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it was already common knowledge. It had been shared quite a bit all over the place. And so John, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, took a different direction with his gospel. And he, it was much more theological, much more apologetic. Um, again, we talked about how he, he really hung his, his writings on the I am statements and the, the seven signs. And so, you know, th this is for him, the, re the raising of Lazarus from the dead was exactly the kind of thing that he needed to make his point, to, to convince his audience that his, his, that his, to validate who Jesus was and to convince them that he, he was who he said he was. Um, the other gospel writers, they may not have needed that as much, or they may, their audience, it might not have been as relevant to their audience. For John, it was exactly the kind of story he needed to include um, to, to make his point. So there's something to be said for that as well. So how does this event connect to the purpose of John's gospel? We mentioned earlier, it, it, it's one of, the, one of those times in scripture where you, you get a, a perfect view of Jesus as being fully God and fully human at the same time. Um, even though he was always in that, that, that state to his entire life on earth, and he still is today, still fully God, still fully human. But, uh, you know, that, that was, that was one of the things that John wanted to emphasize with this, that he, that he was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. Uh, so that, that's one of the ways it plays into that. Um, it also, it, it also helps us understand exactly why the leaders, the religious leaders, were so upset with him. Uh, this was the thing, this was the straw that broke the camel's back for, for them. Uh, if, you, if you go on, I think, it's in, I think it'll be in the next lesson in chapter 12 uh, that we'll start the first lesson of the next quarter, where he talks, where, where John talks about that the leaders just didn't want to kill Jesus. They, they got around to where they wanted to kill Lazarus too, because Lazarus yeah. was a, was a living example of, uh -huh. <laughs> of everything that Jesus did and everything Jesus stood for. So they were really mad. And th this was the one where they finally said, enough is enough. We've got to get rid of this guy. And so, uh, you know, that's, that was an important thing for John to be able to emphasize. And this story helped him do that. But I think one of the greatest things about this story is that it is, uh, it's a preview of coming attractions. You know, when I go to the movies, I hate the previews. You know, the, the, we go to the movies and and uh, my wife and I might go to a movie and it says it's going to start at 1.30. But really what that means, it's going to start at 1.50 because there's going to be 20 minutes of yeah. previews. I hate the previews. I, I, I'll, I'll go to the concession stand during the previews. But in this case, preview the, the preview that John was giving us is incredible because it's a preview of Jesus' own resurrection. 
not only was that Jesus had the power and the authority to raise Lazarus from the dead, but through the Father and the and the power of the Spirit, he himself was going to rise from the dead. And so he was setting his audience up to say, hey, you've seen him do this. Now, through the next few chapters, it's going to get kind of dark and it's going to get kind of you know, sad, and it's going to be kind of you may you may want to have some questions, but here's how it's going to end. Because remember, we've seen him do this before, <laughs> and so yeah, it's kind of it, like a crescendo moving yes. up to the big thing. Yes, it's a great it's a great great way for him to to set the stage for the second half of the book. Now, some theologians sometimes divide John into two books, and our 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 plan here between one and eleven, and then twelve to twenty one sort of follows the same plan. The first eleven is first eleven chapters is known as the Book of Signs, and it emphasizes those seven signs and those seven I am statements. And the second half is called uh, the Book of Glory, uh, because it's, it, it talks about Jesus' resurrection. So the Book of Signs ends with the resurrection of Lazarus. The Book of Glory ends with the resurrection of Christ. And when you hold that idea too, the 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 I am statements kind of serve as the bridge between the Book of Signs and the mm -hmm. Book of Glory. Yes, because they're in both halves. Yes. Um, this this will finish our study of the first 11 chapters of John. We'll start uh, a study next week uh, in the spring quarter with the study of John 12 and following. But one of the things that, I, that, that may help us bring this study to a conclusion is for us to use pack items 10 and 3. Um, 10 is a is a chart it's a handout that has the seven signs listed on it uh, and then the reference and then the central point from that particular sign and then the pack item three is just a poster with the listing of the seven signs but at the end of the this the study this group time we may want to distribute the, the handout copies of if they don't already have it copies of pack item 10 Use that as a review. Here's the things that we've been seeing. Notice the progression. It's moving from here to here to here to here. And help them see how each one of these signs helps further reinforce the idea of who Jesus is. And that he's moving towards entering Jerusalem where he will be crucified, but he will also be resurrected. And so that's one way we can conclude this study is using pack item 10 and three for that matter too. Three would be on the wall or whatever. We could put it on the floor and then pack item 10 is what's in everybody's hand where they could conclude that. Um, Bob, any other ideas or things you would share with our listeners today? I would encourage leaders to kind of use this lesson as a springboard for the next quarter. Um, this is, uh, we, we talked about how they both kind of end, end with a resurrection, but um, you know, this is uh, this is one of those things where you take this lesson and you see what Jesus has done and, and you use that to say, Hey, this is, this is sort of the cliffhanger, you know, at the end of every season, a, a TV show may have a cliffhanger where you kind of wonder what's going on and what's going to happen next. And it compels you to watch the next episode at the first, first part of the next season. Let this be the cliffhanger uh, for, for your class and, and say, you know, Hey, if, if you really, if you want to know the rest of this story, then you need to come back next week and you need to see where we're going to be. If somebody maybe hasn't been a regular attender, you can tell them, Hey, we just went through this great study in the first, uh, first few weeks of, uh, or the first 
first few chapters of John. And we're really going to hit some really cool stuff coming up. We'd love you to be a part of that. Uh, so just use this as a springboard into the next study. It's one of the benefits that uh, of, of sp uh, splitting a book like John across two different quarters. It's a long time. It's 26 weeks between the, <laughs> between the two quarters to cover the entire book. But it allows you to kind of push from one into the other, and especially with the being Easter coming up. Uh, it's, everything's going to point toward that. So that's, that's an opportunity that you have as a leader. Bob, thank you for being with us today. Uh, from time to time in this podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. We mentioned the leader pack today, adult commentaries, another item we may mention from time to time. Uh, you can find out more about all the Explore Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com. Thank you for listening to this this week. We hope you will join us again next week. We'll be starting a brand new study as we focus on that second half of John's gospel. <music>